This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. An unlikely friendship begins in the Paramount Plus original movie, Little Wing, starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Reeling from her parents' divorce, Caitlin steals a valuable bird to save her home, but instead forms a bond with the owner, leading to a new outlook on life. Little Wing, now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Rated PG 13. Welcome to the Successful Farming Podcast. I'm Jody Henke. This podcast is brought to you by Grasshopper. Do more on mow day with a grasshopper mower made for a smooth cut from the fields to your front lawn. A large number of our nation's farmers are aging, which means an uptick in the transfer of land ownership. In this episode, learn about how the 1031 exchange, the estate tax, and stepped-up basis could affect your farm family now and in the future. Successful Farming's Markets Editor, Mike McGinnis, gets an update on these critical issues with David Brown, Certified Exchange Specialist with Iowa Property Exchange. We're going to be talking to David about a topic that is probably a fairly heavy topic for folks in agriculture, but a very important one. It's about 1031 exchanges, and uh, here in a second, David will give us the exact definition of 1031 exchanges. The uh, layman's term or street reference to the 1031 exchanges, of course, is when farm families are able to uh, use this tool as a way to pass along the farm without encumbering themselves with a lot more taxes. And we're also going to talk about the stepped up basis and estate taxes. And those three, in a lot of ways, are tied together. And in some ways, they're not. But we've asked David to uh, talk about this because currently the Biden administration is considering some legislation on this and it's in the works, but nothing has passed yet. But the end result could be very impactful to uh, farm families. So we're going to spend some time going through this. And I would say if farm families are looking for some really good information to help the future of their, of their farm financially, this information is key. It's probably some of the best information you'll get for a long, long time. And uh, it's information that uh, some people just don't pay enough attention to, and I'm sure David would uh, attest to that. So David, first off, give us the exact definition and help folks understand what a 1031 exchange is. Absolutely. So section 1031 allows for the exchange of real properties, whether it be a farm, a commercial building, any investment property, commercial or business use properties, as long as somebody sells a property and goes into a new replacement property, what Section 1031 does is it allows that taxpayer to defer the tax and move that gain or you know retain their equity in order to go into that new asset. It was enacted in 1921 with the recognition by Congress that as long as taxpayers are keeping dollars invested and in the economy, uh, they want to incentivize investors and landowners to uh, retain those dollars, keep them moving, and they don't want to penalize investors and business owners if they were to sell and reposition assets. So it, it's really an incredible economic driver and ability for business use and landowners to retain capital, continue to invest, continue to build their holdings through time. It's not a tax avoidance tool. It's a tax deferral tool. 
in essence, it, you know, if, if I'm taking an example, if somebody were to sell an 80 acre farm mm -hmm. that was 20 miles away and bring it closer to home to a property that, you know, maybe came up for sale once in a generation, maybe it's a, the neighbor's property, they could sell that 80 acre parcel and go into the new property without paying that capital gains tax and being penalized and being, you know, tax locked for fear of paying that. So it's, it, it's really allows business and investors and farmers and others to retain their capital within their operation. Is this an option that uh, farmers and their families most of the time don't even consider or uh, think about until the farm is getting ready to sell or there's some sort of passing of the owner and uh, now they have to figure out what to do with the farm? I'm just trying to express that this 1031 exchange is not really something that you hear a lot about in the general discussion with uh, agriculture topics, but it's a real important one. And I'm just wondering if farm families shouldn't be considering this or thinking about this or talking about this at the dinner table or Thanksgiving table, whatever, more often. You know, yes and no. I mean, I think farmers and, and ag is, is big business and it's sophisticated business. And I think that as people have come to understand Section 1031 exchanges more and more over time, that there is a general awareness. And really, the level of sophistication and understanding of exchanges has, has gone up year by year from, you know, even when we started the business in 2003, just the appreciation and understanding for the benefits and, and how powerful 1031 is to farmers and loan owners has gone up significantly. Now, with that said, I mean, if, if somebody has held on to a farm, you know, generationally or, you know, just acquired assets and, and hasn't done a lot of selling and repurchasing, it certainly is something that could be new to them in terms of, of awareness. So oftentimes in examples, we'll have the farm family who will go connect with the accountant and say, you know, gosh, I want to, again, in my example, bring this 80 acres that's 20 miles away and put it into a higher quality, you know, ground that adjoins a, another parcel. And, and the accountant would say, well, gosh, have you considered a 1031 exchange or the, the tax attorney or, or just the, the rural practitioner would say, you know, hey, here's an opportunity if you're going to do this, you should utilize Section 1031 because it allows you to defer the tax as opposed to using, you know, the after-tax dollars from the sale and having to reinvest it. So, mm -hmm. you know, it, it's probably a mix of, you know, really awareness, but there's surprisingly, I think, a fair amount, and if there's not, to your previous point, this is one of the most powerful tools for uh, for farmers and landowners available and, and real property owners. It's just been a remarkable economic driver, and that's why it's been in the code for 100 years. Well, this is a time in agriculture that uh, we're seeing a lot of land transferring from retired uh, farmers or, or unfortunately farmers that have passed away. You know, the average age of the farmer is getting older. And... Uh, there could be a lot of land ownership transferred, and this is a, an important topic for farm families, and that's why we're trying to, to discuss it today. David, I know you have some examples to help uh, explain the whole idea of the 1031 exchange. Uh, I think examples are probably the best way to help people understand what kind of option this might be for their farm families. So there's really an underappreciation for how Section 1031 is utilized in ads. And what I can tell you is our business is primarily, I mean, remarkably based on ag transactions. And I always say, uh, and I can't back this up, but if we don't do you know, more ag exchange transactions as a percentage of our business 
compared to any other exchange company in the country, I'd be surprised. I mean, we handle thousands of these exchanges. And, you know, by way of example, we took statistics from 2015 to 2019. And out of the $3 billion that our company handled, and that's just our company, that's not the whole universe of exchanges, uh, approximately $2.3 billion of those involved ag assets. Mm, wow. So that's, you know, when you talk about the impact of tax provisions and legislation and what's the day-to-day impact to the ag community, it's enormous what Section 1031 does. And, you know, oftentimes, you know, you don't hear the examples of how 1031 is used. And what what I can say with certainty out of, you know, being in business for nearly 20 years and handling thousands of exchange transactions is that 1031 is utilized by everyday average small to medium farmers and landowners to improve their operations, Mm -hmm. uh, reposition, and for really opportunities that are well-intentioned and serve a a highly beneficial utility for the economy and for farmers. So, you know, here's an example, 80 acres, 20 miles away, I already talked a little bit about that. The farmer's neighbor lists 160 acre high quality farm. So 1031 allows farmers to reposition, to consolidate, to, you know, become more efficient by having that larger parcel. This would be the first example. So under that example, David, the farmer looking to do a 1031 exchange would have to sell some property and take that money and buy the neighbor's property, which is better soil? It could be, or yeah, like, or it could adjoin an existing larger track that allows them to, you know, have greater operational efficiencies. So Yes. I'm just uh, trying to get to the point that the exchange part is exchanging some poor soil ground for some better, but that has to be for tax purposes. You can't just pull some money out of the bank, buy that neighbor's ground and use that as a 1031 exchange. Is that correct? Yeah, exactly right. So, you know, just a base, you know, if this 80 acre track sold for $500,000 and the 160 acre track sold for a million dollars, what happens is at the time of the closing, based upon setting up some exchange documents, and that's what our company does, is we, we handle the exchange document process, which is a requirement under the mm-hmm. IRS rules. So we would set up exchange documents at the time of the closing. The funds go to a separate account that's set up for the exchanger. And then at the time of the closing of the 160 acres, documents would go in place to make sure that everything is compliant with the IRS rules. And the $500,000 combined with either new debt or new cash that the farmer would put into the property would be used to acquire the 160-acre parcel. And, you know, variations of this occur. So it could be a 240-acre tracks or an 80 and a 40, or, you know, you can sell multiple properties and go into one larger property and vice versa. I'm just trying to make sure that people understand where the money is coming from to buy this 160 acres. Does it have to come from the sale of another farm? It, to do an ex- no, not from another Equivalent? farm. That, yes, I mean another real property, and and that's okay. an important clarification too. That you know, 1031 doesn't require a farm for a farm. Any real property can be exchanged for any other real property. So a farmer could go into commercial asset, retail, office, storage, and the same can be true. You can take commercial assets into farm assets. Okay. And one thing I want to really jump on is that is a very very rare occurrence. I mean, rare in the sense of a fraction of a percent that people go from non-farm assets into ag assets. So sometimes 1031 gets knocked for, 
you know, commercial or urban buyers going into, you know, farm assets. And that's, that doesn't happen. We can demonstrate that through our statistics. So, you know, farmers understand farms, commercial owners understand commercial. So they generally stick to their lanes and that's how it works. It can be multiple tracks. Yeah, it could. Any variation of sizes or tracks. I mean, there's some limits in terms of how this can be accomplished under the rules, but, you know, for purposes of our discussion, people should assume they could sell multiple tracks to consolidate or if they wanted to go into a more diverse approach and purchase, you know, different assets, maybe in different parts of the country because of climate issues or whatever, that's an option as well. When we come back, David will explain how 1031 exchanges can be used as a conservation tool. It's an opportunity to have federal dollars under any new infrastructure plan, which could be used to acquire sensitive acres. Stay tuned. When it's mow day, you want a mower that'll start right up, do the job, and keep you feeling good while you're working. Grasshopper mowers cut and ride smooth with an outfront deck that cuts way more in less time, giving you a clean, even cut whether you're facing obstacles in the field like ditches and fence line or just striping the front lawn. The versatility of the grasshopper lets you move from one to the other seamlessly, so your work is that much closer to done. Grasshopper mowers, committed to the cut. 1031 is also becoming more and more utilized as a conservation tool. And what I mean by that is permanent conservation easements are considered real property assets for exchange purposes. Mm -hmm. So if if NRCS comes and says, hey, I want to buy these wetlands, you know, this farm, we're going to put it back in the wetlands. And so what we're going to do is buy the easement from you for a per acre value, which equates to, you know, the loss of the ability to produce on the property. So if the right. property's worth $5,000 an acre, we'll pay you $4,000 an acre. Take those sensitive acres out of production that it can go into a, a more environmentally appropriate property. And so, you know, with the nutrient reduction strategies and, you know, whatever intent farmers included on accomplishing, uh, it's being used as a tool to take tougher acres, wetter acres out of production and go into something else that might be more appropriate. Okay. But the conservation point is very important. I mean, we're hearing more and more about the uh, conservation efforts that the Biden administration is trying to promote and uh, farmers may be faced with more decisions regarding conservation going forward. Yeah, you know, and when you think about the potential for the Build Back Better infrastructure plan, you know, climate, that's going to be a big part of it. There have been dollars allocated to NRCS to buy easements. You know, there's wetlands reserve, there's grasslands reserve, there's emergency watershed dealing with, you know, in our neck of the woods, Missouri and Mississippi watershed. Mm -hmm. That could be an opportunity to have federal dollars under any new infrastructure plan. You know, those could be utilized to acquire those sensitive acres, which would allow farmers to be able to exchange into something else, which, you know, not only serves the conservation purpose, but allows them to keep cash flow and keep, you know, in that same level of of operating capacity that they had before the sale. Give us some other examples, if you would. When is a good time for farmers to consider this option? And uh, what other important things should we be mentioning here and expressing to farmers about the uh, option of a 1031 exchange? You mentioned the generational transfer that's accelerating. So 1031 is being utilized as a tool to sell to siblings, to sell to uh, kids, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and what that does is allows the landowner or the farmer to go reinvest uh, somewhere else. And oftentimes that's the case of, you know, son or daughter buying the home farm. So they want to they want to preserve where everything began. And uh, it may be a good situation for them to work through the family repositioning situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had seen large numbers of properties owned by siblings that have been inherited and they are owned in a, a tenant in common or a fractional interest by, you know, in, let's just say it's three siblings. And they inherit the property. Maybe they inherited it 15 years ago. Their basis is lower and they've had appreciation. And one of the sibling wants to buy out the other two siblings. And those siblings would like to go into buy some other replacement properties. So in terms of the family planning and ability for the producing sibling to keep the home farm. It's a tool to facilitate those types of transactions. We see that all the time. Retirement planning, you know, not only is 10th on use for operations, but if a retiring farmer wanted to go into some other asset, you know, or a, a rental property in Arizona, you know, for whatever reason, or Florida, or maybe to be near the kids in Milwaukee or somewhere else, mm-hmm. there's opportunities to do some planning to allow for farmers and landowners to go into assets in other areas of the country that might serve them more appropriately. And maybe they want to, you know, get out of, of farming for whatever reason and go into some commercial assets for other reasons. And, and again, that's a pretty rare situation, but in the past, there was discussions about, hey, you should only be able to exchange a farm for a farm. And after lots of studies by USDA and others, the conclusion was, gosh, you're only hurting yourself. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Because first of all, there are few people exchanging out of non-farm assets and the farm assets. And second, I mean, what if the farmer, the landowner wants to go into something else for whatever Mm -hmm. reason? I mean, that shouldn't be limited, especially when it's not really a factor, an impact on ag. What can't you use money to reinvest in? In other words, I sell a farm. What can't I use that money for in a 1031 exchange? You're saying that I can take that money and reinvest in rental property and possibly a vacation home, maybe go into some other type of business, commercial building, you know, storage, whatever. But what is it that you can't go into or use that money from the farm sale to invest in? You can't go into stocks. You can't exchange a real property asset into stock. And that includes like shares of a family corporation that may be part of, of the family ownership structure. Uh, you can't go into notes, you know, bonds. You cannot go into personal property. You cannot exchange a farm for a combine or you cannot exchange, you know, a farm for really any personal property asset. The house that you live in. So no, I mean, residential real estate, what qualifies but not your personal residence. And that's a whole different provision. So if somebody mm-hmm. had a house that they had lived in for two out of the last five years, they could exclude 
gain of up to 250,000 for an individual and 500,000 per couple. Now there is some planning that if somebody said, gosh, I want to go into a house, you know, from Mason City to Des Moines, if that property were rented for a couple of years, after that two-year period, it could be converted to a personal residence. They wouldn't be able to exchange out of it again, but there's some really remarkable opportunities to take an investment asset and after a couple year period of time, reposition it into a personal use asset that's allowed under the tax code. And you also can't sell the farm and use that money to buy cryptocurrencies, correct? You definitely cannot. There was uh, the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act eliminated artwork, cryptocurrencies, and a number of other you know different yeah. things that folks were doing. Yeah. No, no Bitcoin. Right. right. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe no Bitcoin discussions coming up, but Mike and David will be talking about estate taxes and stepped-up basis. Stay tuned. Get more done on Mow Day in less time with a Grasshopper Zero-Turn Mower. Stripe, mulch, and bag trimmings from the fields to the front yard without skipping a beat. Edging? No longer necessary. Maintenance and cleanup? Easy. With a powerful deck that lifts with the press of a button, only Grasshopper gives you the cut speed and durability to stand up to farm life. Grasshopper Mowers. Committed to the cut. Let's move on to estate taxes Give us the current state of estate taxes. And when people hear other people talk about this, they think they're talking about state taxes, but this is a state. And yeah. give us the current state of what's going on with estate taxes. Okay. So estate taxes, there's three issues I think that are near and dear to farmers. That There's concerns about what's the potential impact of legislation. Mm-hmm. So estate tax is one of them. And under the present law, there's an exemption for estates of $11.7 million for an individual and uh, $23.4 million per couple. So if the farm family owns assets of under 11.7, there is no state tax. If in per couple, you know, again, mom and dad could pass on $23.4 million together and there will be no state tax. Okay. Prior to the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act um, in 2016, that exemption was $5.5 million for an individual and $11 million per couple. So that got bumped up during the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. And that's you know referred to as the death tax and gets lots of attention in the media. And, and it is important. And for you know farm families that have these values of assets, congratulations. So, but here's really, I think, the practical impact which is, is really important. I was researching the Des Moines Register article, talked about what was the impact of the estate tax in 2016 at the $5.5 million and $11 million exemption level. And so what the studies or what the statistics show is that 0.1% of the states pay taxes nationally. Now, what that means is to the ag context, and this is across the country in 2016, this isn't the $11 million limit. This is the $5.5 million pre-tax cuts and jobs act limit. So uh, at that pre-tax cuts and jobs act limit, only 682 filers nationally owned farm assets. And then dialing that down even further, the article stated that nationally only 160 farm operations owed a state tax. And then in Iowa alone, and this is all assets included, not mm-hmm. just farms, only 60 Iowans paid a state tax in 2016. 
That was at the $5.5 million limit. That got doubled. So when considering what is the impact on agriculture of a proposed reduction in the estate tax rate, exemption, I should say, which, which the Biden proposal is $3.5 million and $7 million per couple. So it definitely would have an impact. And I'm not advocating for or against. I mean, I completely respect how it's important to ag. and mm-hmm. But I think the conclusion after I was looking at this is it just would have a really nominal impact for the most part. Right. And again, I know it's important to the ag associations and, and that's great, but uh, that's the reality. So the threshold levels for that estate, that death tax were so high that it wasn't really in, including as many people as the Biden administration's levels might, because you're saying that the threshold levels are being dropped and that could catch a lot more farmers, farm families out there. It could, but you know, with the appreciation of, of land values, I mean, we're in a whole different world than we were even five years ago. I mean, we're yeah. seeing what's happening with commodity prices. So there definitely has to be an inflation factor that goes into it. And, and keep in mind, these are Biden campaign proposals. This is not legislation. Mm-hmm. I'm on the Governor Affairs Committee for our national trade organization. Our lobbyist in D.C. is well tuned in. I've consulted with him. And I'm saying, hey, you know, in preparing for this, what's the practical impact of the Biden campaign proposals, what's what's the likely result? And, and one, I mean, you've got this proposal from the campaign. You have the existing exemption of 11.7. I mean, if there's any change, it's going to be probably somewhere in the middle, in which mm-hmm. case, you know, it still probably impacts few farmers and landowners. You know, this is a big deal to ag. And so ag's going to have a say. And there's there's potential carve-outs for farm exemptions, ongoing business owners. There could be a carve-out that says you don't owe it until heirs sell the property. So there's there's different things that can be utilized to mitigate the impact to the extent that this becomes an issue. And so time-wise, what are your lobbyists telling you about this possible legislation? Um, all right, so we just finished the rescue plan, so, uh, or I, I don't know if it's finished, but it feels like we're about ready to get it signed. Mm-hmm. The president's historically, and President Biden is at peak power for the first eight months of his administration. So all eyes will go to the Build Back Better plan, which is going to relate to infrastructure, green energy, and so all eyes will go to that. The thought is between now, April and August or September is when the pen will go to paper and we'll start seeing what comes out of that. You know, there's all kinds of priorities and different diverging interests within the Democratic caucus, including centrists who would say, gosh, you know, we're not messing with the state tax in Montana or uh, mansion in West Virginia, you know, you know, farm states. I mean, there's there are a number of centrist swing vote Democrats that will have a, a problem with tax provisions that would impact ag. The other thing we want to talk about that goes along with this topic a little bit, David, is stepped up basis. And uh, you have a a family that the parents may have died or the kids somehow have inherited the farm. And if they're considering selling the farm, are they going to get taxed on this farm sale at the current rate or a value of the farm, or is it going to be at the uh, rate or value of when the farm was purchased in the 50s or 60s or 70s, you know, whatever, years ago? So stepped up basis is really the cost of the asset for tax purposes. 
my mom and dad bought a property for $100,000 in 1985 and the value rose to $500,000 today, their basis, in other words, their initial investment is $100,000. If they sell that property today for $500,000, they do have to pay the tax on the $400,000 of gain. Okay. Stepped up basis says that if the heirs inherit the property today and that property is valued at $500,000, the basis from mom and dad goes from $100,000 to $500,000 in the hands of the person who inherited the property. So, you know, here's another example. If a property was purchased for $500,000 in 1985, 160 acres, uh, sale price of the property would be 1.5. There's a million dollars a gain that would be taxed if they sold it today. Now, under current law, if the owner passed away, the inheritors would get the stepped up basis from $500,000 to $1.5 million, and they would not have to pay any tax on the sale at the time that they sold it. So stepped up basis is really raising the tax cost to those who inherit the property. Is the stepped up basis threatened in legislation that's being worked on right now? Potentially. So there are proposals to eliminate stepped up basis. And the thought is that the heirs should pay the tax on that gain that accumulated through the asset over the years. Even versus estate tax, it's highly controversial in ag, understandably. I mean, if uh, heirs inherit the property and there's I mean, the good news is there's a big gain and there's a big asset that they inherited. So it's all relative, but but you don't want to be put in a position of having to sell the farm or, or pay the tax. And I don't think that, that would happen in any case because you wouldn't have to pay the tax at the time of death. It only would be at the time of the sale if stepped up basis were to go away. And the reason for the proposal to eliminate stepped up basis is to pay for other programs under the infrastructure bill. Now, Again, there could be carve-outs for farm exemptions for ongoing business owners only when they sell. And while this is certainly a critically important topic, our folks in D.C. have heard directly from senior Democratic members and staff who have stated this is not doable. There's no way that they think they can get this accomplished. And again, as I mentioned, there are several farm ranch state Democratic senators who are swing votes and they will not go along with it. So what I'm hearing is that while everything is on the table in terms of proposed revenue raisers for tax purposes, step up basis would be extremely difficult to achieve. And it's probably good news for uh, farmers that are listening here today. David, as we wrap up here, give us a, a feel for how people can get a hold of you and uh, what kind of services you can help them with when they consider a 1031 exchange or any of these other topics that we've talked about, actually. Yeah, well, so in order to do an exchange, you have to utilize a qualified intermediary company to handle the transaction, and that's what we specialize in. So if somebody has a sale that they're considering, they want to get in touch with us to talk about their transaction and talk about the details before they sell the property. We you know, handle all the exchange documents that are required under the IRS rules, and we'll walk folks through it from start to finish. And we specialize in this. This is all we do. And again, we've been doing it for 20 years and have a real strong specialty in ag and, and across the country. So, you know, our website is www.ipe1031.com and that's ipe1031.com. There's a number of tremendous resources on there, including reference guides and educational resources. And, you know, I would just encourage people to, to reach out as they have questions. 
And do you have a phone number that you could also throw out? I do, yes. 888-226-0400. 888-226-0400. David, thanks for your time. This is some great information. And like we mentioned earlier, it's information that folks can probably use right now. We're coming into a time, I think, in agriculture when we're seeing a lot of incidents where farmers and farms themselves are are being transferred, the ownership is, and you have maybe some children of longtime farmers that are not continuing with agriculture or continuing with the production of agriculture and using the land that way, but are in an investment role. And uh, this is some top-notch information as I'm sure that you're experiencing with your customers. You're probably seeing a lot of this, I imagine. As yeah, a- for, for sure. I mean, I would just really emphasize here, when you think about the day-to-day stuff that impacts farmers, when you talk about $2.3 billion of transactional activity of 1031 exchanges over five years, and factor in that most of those, the median was $443,000. So this is you know small to medium farmers. This isn't big ag. But from a day-to-day perspective, the impact on, on operations and, you know, our farm realtors have said, if you take 1031, you know, 25% of transactions go away because people are tax locked and they can't sell. And when you're considering what are the provisions that impact ag the most, I think if people really dive into it, 1031 comes out on top by a very wide margin. Well, David, let's stay in touch. This is a topic that's not going away anytime soon, I'm sure. So I appreciate your information and your time today and the way you're trying to help farm families. It's who we are. And again, thank you for the opportunity. Thanks to Mike McGinnis for hosting this podcast, to Grasshopper for their sponsorship, and to David Brown for his expertise. And thank you for listening. For Successful Farming, I'm Jody Henke.